driving it home. With Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Oh boy, uh, it is snowing. I'm sure I don't have to tell you. Annoying when someone tells you how the weather is, and you're like, "Yeah, I got it. I'm in traffic. I'm stop and go traffic." And everyone's there's there's three kinds of drivers, right? And the first kind is the most dangerous. They're driving an SUV, and they think that they've they've got a Batmobile. And no matter how icy or slushy or dangerous it is out there, they're going to just drive 80 miles an hour on a 35 mile an hour road. Stay away from those people. Also, try to stay away from the people who are like, Oh, it's so icy. I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. I've never seen snow before. Hey, by the way, uh, Lady B is pointing at herself. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, I, I have my moments of mostly, so when I'm on a country road, so full disclosure and honesty, uh, I think this should be the same thing. When I'm on a country road, I am driving nine miles an hour, hazards flashing, 33 cars line up behind me trying to see who the jackhole is at the front. And when they pass me, you know, when they had, when they see the other side's clear, they got to slow down and look and go, you, you're the cause of all this. So on country roads, yes, I'm a little hesitant, mostly because there aren't uh, salt trucks and uh, also they drive crazy out there. So the third category of drivers are the people who are being reasonable. They're threading the needle of getting where they got to go, being steady and safe. So too slow, too fast. Be, be Goldilocks or the little bear, I guess. Be the little bear. Don't be mama bear. Don't, yeah. Although I don't think she's hesitant. I don't like that I, I genderized this at all. Anyway, just be careful, be cautious, be kind, uh, and not just to other drivers, but also to yourself. This is heavy, wet snow. This is not for everybody to go out there shoveling. This is for this is for fifteen year old kids out there with a shovel. That's it. If you're more than fifteen years old, uh, I, I I take no responsibility for what you're planning to do with a shovel. Get you know get a bucket of uh, salt out there. Salt your salt your stairs for your postman do the best you can if you cannot shovel and i was gonna look this up i I think that there are i know that in my community uh, our alderman offers uh to shovel sidewalks and clear the way for folks so if you check in with your local electeds ask them if there's any assistance with clearing the sidewalks this is a program that uh, alderman gilbert viegas is working on in the city of chicago which is plowing the sidewalks and when he presented this as a, a concept you know he worked with better streets um chicago and the uh, obviously everyone's like ah it's too expensive we got to do the streets first and that is the problem with being a car dominated city and we're not unique to saying try to change your perspective of could you cuz i like today I, I walked it's not that far fair but the last time i tried driving here during a storm like this or snowfall like this i found myself unable to regain control of my car as it slid sideways on Milwaukee Avenue, I stopped maybe, I mean, it was, I don't even want to, I don't think it was even measurable how close I was to this white Jeep Cherokee that was parked on uh, Milwaukee. So 
I walked today. And so, I mean, I'm not saying everybody can walk to where they need to get. Uh, but look, you know, on a day like this, your public transportation, especially Metra, the, the, tra- the train lines, CTA's got a lot of work to do. But still safer and better for everyone. Uh, and look, even just for your vehicle. And it's not just you, right? The, I, I get it. You are a magnificent driver. You know exactly how to handle your vehicle in weather like this. It Guess what? That it's the other people I was talking about. They will slide into you. There will be circumstances that are beyond everyone's control uh, on a day like this. So please be cautious. But always a good time to tell you, don't forget to make sure you keep uh, the website, EuropeanUS.com in mind. Uh, Warren is uh, ready to take your calls should you find yourself in a fender bender. But again, on a day like this, especially with so much stop and go traffic, everyone's moving. It's a lot of, a lot of congested streets. Uh, please make sure if you do get in a fender bender that it is safe to leave your vehicle. Uh, if you're in the middle of traffic, uh, try to see if you can get out of traffic, find a parking lot, some empty parking spots, uh, turn on a side street, whatever it is, but to get out of main thoroughways. So please be careful out there. And uh, and I don't know, but tonight I'm going to whip up a batch of uh, chili. I'm going to let it simmer overnight. This one I'm going to, I think I'm going to do a long batch since it's supposed to snow for quite a while. And uh, I f- folks, I was walking here and I felt so bad for people who had not yet taken down their Christmas decorations because uh, it's going to be, it's only going to get harder in the next few days. It's going to drop, the temperatures are going to drop steeply. We're going to get below zero uh, Sunday and Monday. So please be aware of that. I know, I know it's Andy was leaving. He's like, it's Chicago. Yes. But we've been lulled into a a comfortable situation for the last uh, six weeks and it's, it's been different. So please, please be prepared. Be ready as the weather changes. I I have got to talk about Joan's conversations. today. always great conversations on the Jonas Pazito show. And I I mean, I was just like, I don't know about anybody else because I was in traffic for a while, Uh, you know, kind of white knuckling it in some places during the storm. But Oh, so many great topics. I think the most, you know, for me, most fresh is uh, Ray Long telling her about being in the courtroom and when the uh, verdict came in and the charges against him and, you know, the the testimony and witnesses that the jury heard. It just never ceases to amaze me the gall, right? The audacity of people to take advantage of their position. And and clearly uh, he'd been there for decades and it was just assumed like this is the way things were done. And we are extricating, I, th- I think, in some ways ourselves from that that sort of model. But I think we, we may be in a new model. Uh, I think that there's been a lot of toxicity in City Hall. And I think that goes even Rahm Eman- under Rahm Emanuel. It continued under uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We're hearing stories now about uh, three staffers who uh, left their jobs because of the way they were treated and talked to. They were dismissed and then put on a do not hire do not hire list, which is 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 retaliation. Just plain and simple. That's um, and this this will go to this will unless the city settles, they are going to court on this one as well. And I'm I'm guessing the people that are filing this lawsuit uh, have witnesses and evidence. So that'll be interesting to see. And I do wonder though because. Just the emails we saw, we're not seeing as much of uh, the evidence of mismanagement as far as uh, how people in City Hall are treated and addressed. And the way Lori Lightfoot, it was her biggest downfall in my mind, was the way she, just the the attitude. 
And maybe that's the, you know, I've talked about the Chicago sort of attitude. We're not, we're not great with people who are from other places. Uh, and Rahm Emanuel, who had left, had been in D.C., had his way of uh, conducting business, and it was with uh, pretty much an iron fist, sort of daily. Uh, but the outward demeanor, the, the, that, that presence uh, with Lori Lightfoot was, was tough for a lot of us. And I, don't, I, I just, I'm not thrilled with uh, some of the things I'm hearing out of City Hall. So that was a great conversation with uh, Ray Long in regards to the Ed Burke case. And then, uh, man, everything else talking about, you know, <laughs> what, what's the strategy? What, what do we need to do? How do we take all of the missteps of the Republican Party, whether it's Nikki Haley not being able to say that slavery was the root of the Civil War. And thank you. I, I have to look at all the guests that uh, Joan had, but he was talking about the Cornerstone speech. It was in every single article of secession. It was in their declaration of leaving the United States was that it was that the non-slave owning states were being oppressive to them. And again, I got to go look at Joan's guests because one of them was talking, oh, no, I was sometimes you, you know, during a commercial, I'll scroll through TikTok and then something pops up that it pertains to the conversation that's happening on Joan's show. And I don't know if it's you know, my phone listening to that, but there's a, a video of a young man talking about uh, being in a store to buy. He's a black man uh, buying a Confederate flag and he kind of, you know, wanting to see if he could start a conversation with people. And he did. And it got loud. Um, but one of the, you know, one of the arguments has been and I've heard it many times. And I remember even in my 20s when I was getting my degree in history, you know, working through this idea that people have that, oh, there was slavery before. You're not different because black people were enslaved or, you know, in Africa. They sold their own people, all those things. But American slavery was was so it was it was its own creation. It was it was American ingenuity, it, you know, in, in past cultures and societies where people were enslaved. It was a conquering mechanism. We've conquered you. You now are my slave. In the United States, it was we bought you and we have bought your entire lineage in perpetuity and that they weren't even human. That's a big, I mean, that just even the three fifths person, right? That's, that's how we, we didn't even count them as one whole human being in the United States. And I say we, people get really mad when I say we, we, if we're going to say we are Americans, then it goes all the way back to our inception of what we have done. I think we get to say that. Okay. Let me take a break because I, I got to get to, uh, let me get to Dave at least. Dave, do you want to hang on? Uh, Cause I'm going to go to the uh, recombobulation area. Dan Schaefer is going to be on the line with us in a minute. Um, what's that? Do you want to, do you want to call back or hang on the line? Um, uh, maybe, uh, tough choice. I guess, I guess what, I'll hang, here. I'll hang from you, Oh, you want to talk about Roger Stone? Yeah, let's, let's, uh, we'll yeah. dig into that. Hang on the line because okay. we're, we're going to check it with Dan Schaefer in just a moment and uh, I'll take mm-hmm. a call right out of that. I promise. Okay, Dave? Okay, fair enough. Thank you, thank you. Stand by. And same for you, Jim. Hang on. Everybody you want to call, if you have a question for Dan Schaefer, let me know. 773-763-9278. And you'll hear the beautiful voice of Miss Lady B when you do call the station. 773-763-9278. More in a moment. Oops. Wait, this one. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. You can think that Benjamin Netanyahu is a terrible leader. I call him the Israeli version of Trump. That doesn't mean you can't also speak up and say that Hamas are terrorists and what they have done is beyond horrific. Joan Esposito, weekday afternoons 2 to 5 on WCPT 820. WCPT hey, this is Patty Voss. Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. Hey, this is Patty Vasquez. 
I'm a busy mom, and I do everything I can to keep my family safe. But no matter how careful I am, accidents happen. Like that driver who rear-ended me at Milwaukee and Foster. Once I made sure everyone was okay and it was safe for me to get out of my vehicle, I got the other driver's info and I called my car guy, Warren Price, at European and U.S. Collision Repair Center. He helped me navigate the insurance claims and his expert technicians made my car look brand new. Warren has been serving the community with European U.S. Collision Repair Center, a division of Technocraft at 4080 North Broadway, for 40 years, and he's been my car guy for over a decade. I trust him with my family's safety. So check him out at EuropeanUS.com or call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200. So we can all keep driving it home safely together. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. <laughs> perfect, perfect uh, new commercial for today. Dan Schaefer from the Weekend area who uh, joins us to catch us up on all things Wisconsin. Uh, first of all, let's just go ahead and get this over with. Congratulations on making it to the playoff. It's the least we could do for you. What a game. How fun was that, Patty? What a game. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can I tell you the secret. I, I did not watch that game. I don't. Was, there wasn't. Yeah, was it was it good? You were probably better off. You know, it's uh, it's always tough to watch. It must must be tough to watch the Bears lose in Lambeau over and over and over for so long. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, that was one of my favorite games that we've watched. I've watched in a long time. Good. Uh, I've I've gotten so sick of our former quarterback. Uh, that seeing Jordan Love uh, come in and deliver for the Green Bay Packers uh, and be humble and and uh, and you know it just seems like a really good guy about all of it. Uh, that that's pretty great. Nice. Well, we're very you know it, it, as you mentioned, it's been a long time since we've had a, a very good season. So I am not I am not moved emotionally one way or the other. Except I am excited for our friends in Wisconsin. I don't uh, I, I've let go of the uh, intensely negative rivalry years ago, where I you know where I hate that you guys make it and we don't. That's I can't. I like you guys too much. Well. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, you know, there's, it's uh, it's a strange. It must be a strange time to be a Bears fan. You know, oh. uh, years and years of of, uh, of frustration. Yes. Um, maybe they get it together this off season. Who knows? I think knows? the last time I was excited, uh, Devin Hester was making a return run and uh, the opening kick of a Super Bowl game in the '90s or maybe early 2000s, something like that. Yeah, uh, he was he was a frightening <laughs> player. That's, yeah, he, that was probably the last time I was scared of. The Bears and a Packers Bears game too. When yeah. Devin Esther was back there. Yeah, he was remarkable. He was he was great. And and you know maybe I, I dated a Keith Van Horn. We don't know. Anyway, so what we were talking about is what I want to talk about. But we're not even going to talk about your very uh, sketchy congressman. Let's talk about uh, the, is it the Tavern Association and uh, the legalization of cannabis in the state of, of Wisconsin. I, I saw some of this going through your thread, and I was like, is, I didn't even thought of it. I always thought of the pharmaceutical companies, but the, the, is it the Tavern Association, but they're saying they're not against it? Yeah, so, you know, the the issue of marijuana legalization in Wisconsin is, is one that's come up lately, and I just wrote a, wrote a feature story on this that uh, published at the Recombobulation Area in partnership with my friends at Milwaukee Record, um, and 
it basically, you know, there was a proposal this week uh, from from Republicans on medical marijuana, and we can circle back to that. But one of the things that always seems to come up, you know, whenever the issue of marijuana legalization is mentioned in Wisconsin, is that you know, oh, you got to get it past the Tavern League. Now, the ah. Tavern League is a trade organization in Wisconsin that is very, very influential. Often backs uh, Republican politicians uh, in, in certain races. You know, they're the reason. They, I think a lot of people point to them as the reason why we have. Um, you know, you can't buy you can't buy beer after nine in in Wisconsin <laughs> at, at different grocery I, stores, and you I, can't do yeah. all these different things. And so, like Wisconsin has a lot of weird rules, and I think a lot uh, regarding alcohol. A lot of it comes back to the Tavern League. But, like, the marijuana thing, everybody's like, oh, oh, you know, the Tavern League, you can't get it past the Tavern League. And I was just like, well, I've done a lot of research on this for my story. I don't really see that the Tavern League is directly lobbying on this. In Wisconsin, if you're, you know, lobbying on a certain bill or whatever, you have to register with the Wisconsin Ethics Commission and, and report whether you're, you know, where, which side you're on on a certain bill. Uh, and the Tavern League wasn't showing up in all these marijuana bills I was researching. So I decided to just go ahead and reach out to them. And I, I heard back from their one of their uh, spokespersons, their govern, government affairs officer, who told me in a, in a phone interview, he's like, yeah, we don't have a position on this. We're not, you know, in favor or opposed. Uh, we've just not taken a position. It's not really, you know, it's not really relevant to our members and, our, and the taverns that are, that are part of the Tavern League. Um and so I thought that was interesting because every time this issue comes up, everybody blames the Tavern League. And I think who, the people who are actually to blame it, it's, it's more simple uh, and it's going to come off as partisan when I say it. But the problem is just Republicans. <laughs> Republicans <laughs> in Wisconsin are, are opposed to marijuana legalization. Uh, and Republican leadership in Wisconsin is opposed to marijuana legalization. It doesn't matter if they see, you know, what's happening in Michigan and Illinois and Minnesota and all these states all around us that are that are legalizing and, and getting all the tax revenue from, you know, many of the Wisconsin visitors who, who may go to these stores <laughs> yes. over state lines. Uh, see, might see that, but they they just don't want to uh, don't want to get with it. So uh, they, they they put forth a, a medical marijuana proposal this week that we can talk about. But I, I thought it was interesting, uh, you know, that the whole Tavern League fiasco that that. that were, that people seem to think that they are the source uh, of all of these problems regarding marijuana policy in Wisconsin. Not the case. Not the case. Yeah. You guys do have some wonky alcohol laws. Uh, So, I mean, I wonder what it it will look like, because eventually you have to believe it's going to happen. At least you've got a window here for the next couple of years with the remapping and hopefully uh, strategically have the ability to, you know, have a path to have more Democrats in a position to vote for that. Don't you think? Yeah, it seems like it's only a matter of time. Yeah. And and one of the people I talked to for my story was uh, Democratic State Senator Melissa Agard. She's from Madison. She's been proposing legalization bills for about a decade in Wisconsin. And, you know, the uh, and one of the things that she told me in her interview is that she's, she said that there she thinks there are many Republicans uh, in the state legislature in Wisconsin who have told her that if she were, were to get the bill, the legalization bill to the floor, that they would vote for it. And she said that, you know, the problem is not necessarily, you know, all of the Republicans in the Assembly, in the state Senate, what have you, in Wisconsin. It's the leadership. It's, it's Robin Voss. It's the yep. Senate Majority Leader, Devin Lemahue. And I think a lot of it, you know, you certainly can certainly can look at the biggest political donor in the state of Wisconsin, the U-Lines, uh, who have funded a lot of anti 
uh, marijuana le- legalization efforts in ballot referendums all over the country. Um, so I think uh, I think you know instead of uh, assigning this nefarious motive to the Tavern League, and the Tavern League does a lot of things that I disagree with, um, but you know I don't think this is really one of them. No, <laughs> insane. I, I, I do. When you mentioned uh, not be able to buy booze after nine, I remember because I, I used to work the Skyline Comedy Cafe in Appleton, Wisconsin. I worked in Milwaukee a lot, but uh, the, but in Appleton, it's a little smaller town. And I just remember there was a comic I was working with who was desperate to get you know a twelve pack of beer, and we drove from we couldn't we had to drive somewhere like I think that Appleton had different laws than even the surrounding towns, and yeah, it's a whole. Can you sell booze on Sundays? Because in some places you can only sell beer and wine but not hard liquor is that a thing you you can sell it on sundays you just it's 9 p.m is the is the cutoff for a lot of there's a lot of other weird i I think there's a lot of the frankly a lot of the drunk driving rules we have some of the most lax drunk driving rules in the country i think that you know i think uh, the tavern link has lobbied on those in the past as well too (laughs) it's all it's all insane uh so what are some of the what No, it's not. It's not great. What uh, What are some of the things that you're you're following uh, right now? Aside from, I'm guessing you're having a significant amount of s- snowfall as we are. Is that uh, Is that your weather right now? Yep, snowed in today. Got the got the kids home for a snow day, so you know, that's part of it. Um, I wanted to mention another thing before we get off the topic of uh, marijuana legalization too. Is that Wisconsin Republicans proposed on Monday? They proposed a. Uh, uh, marijuana legalization, a medical marijuana legalization bill. Mm-hmm. And this, this bill is unlike any other medical marijuana legalization uh, anywhere in the country. It would create five state-run, yes, state-run uh, medical marijuana dispensaries in the state. Oh. Uh, and it would only, they would only be available to people with very specific, uh, you know, severe medical conditions. Uh, I think there was a list of only nine conditions you would be eligible for to, uh, to oh. you know, be able to go to the state-run dispensary. So it's a, you know, the, the party of free enterprise and limited government yeah. wants a state-run medical marijuana facility. And they also said that it would generate no revenue. It would be revenue neutral. Oh, yeah. uh, so in, instead of the projected uh, $170 million dollars, Per year uh, that uh, that tax revenue would generate by recreational marijuana legalization in Wisconsin, uh, and by engaging you know free enterprise and small businesses that, that would want to you know open uh, open one of these shops or what have you, uh, they're instead wanting a state-run medical marijuana under and I think Robin Voss characterized it as the most restrictive uh, medical marijuana. Uh, policy anywhere in the country. Yeah, I'm trying. So, to, I did a quick quick search. It's a very unserious proposal. <laughs> yeah, I don't see a single place. And I, I just imagine it. Like, do you get a, you take a number? It's bad fluorescent lighting, linoleum floors, very cranky people behind the desk. Uh, unless they are able to try some of the product, in which case maybe everyone's chill in the process. But no, I don't. I don't see that. I mean, this sounds. If you combine, no, I guess you can't combine your uh, getting your driver's license with getting your cannabis, can you? That doesn't seem practical. Yeah, I don't see where this is going. I, I honestly. I mean, this is a terrible idea. Well, it, it just seems like it just seems like uh, you know that they want a participation trophy for doing this. Like, hey, we did something, we tried. It's not what everybody wants. It's not the fact that you know uh, polling shows that two thirds of Wisconsinites want to uh, have legal recreational marijuana. Uh, it's you know doing this this p- proposal that would seem dated by the standards of a decade ago, um, you know, even as every one of our Midwestern neighbors is, is now legalizing. I think there was a study from uh, the Wisconsin Policy Forum that showed that the majority of Wisconsin's population is within a 70-minute drive 
of a legal dispensary, either in Michigan or uh, Illinois. And that was before uh, Minnesota voted for legalization, right. too. So I think, you know, it's just uh, it's just unrealistic and, and just not a pragmatic approach uh, to this policy at this point. You know, no. it should really just uh, just go ahead and puff, puff, pass it, is what I say. Yikes. Yikes. I, well, I also want to talk about something that, that it, it, when I saw this on your feed about the expansion of 94 and that it's under investigation for uh, discrimina- discrimination to the communities that already are, are in that area. Before we talk about this, I, I, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a, a TikToker named Dilla Thomas who does extraordinary work with Chicago history. And one of the reasons he says he knows Chicago history so well was because his family's home, his father's family's home was torn down to expand, I believe it's the Dan Ryan and his father and grandfather refused and I'm getting this all wrong Dilla I apologize but uh, but they wouldn't take the Dan Ryan so they took all surface streets so they got to know all the neighborhoods and that's how they but because their home was basically taken as uh, as what is eminent domain right because of, they, they in a community of color they basically destroyed this entire community to put up a highway are you guys seeing a similar thing with the expansion of 94 yeah, it's, uh, you know, Wisconsin and Milwaukee, I think a lot of Midwestern, big Midwestern cities have a pretty fraught history with freeway expansion. And a lot of it, I think there was, you know, I, I wrote a long series about this a couple of years ago uh, at the Recombobulation Era about the proposed expansion. And, you know, one of the things that happened in, in Milwaukee in the 1960s was that they expanded I-43, which goes right up north through uh, through Milwaukee to Ozaki County. Um, and it was uh, ex- expanded and it, I think uh, more than 10,000 homes uh, owned by, you know, black people in Milwaukee were destroyed uh, for that expansion. There's a couple of other freeways that happened uh, that, that actually protests in Milwaukee had, had stopped, um, you know, and additional freeway expansions. So there's a lot of history in Milwaukee, just like in Chicago, Detroit. A lot of these places have a lot of uh, history with the freeway expansion and, and in Milwaukee right now, there's a, this proposal to widen a stretch of the freeway. It's about a three-and-a-half-mile stretch uh, that they want to add a, add another lane going another way. So, you know, just the, the whole thinking, the, the backwards thinking of, you know, instead of investing in, you know, more, um, you know, comprehensive options for public transit or bike transit or where, whatever it might be, uh, to just continue to widen highways over and over and over and over and over again. And it always seems to fall uh, on communities of color. And I think that is what uh, what this complaint uh, that was filed by a number of groups, Sierra Club, uh, the Milwaukee River Keepers, uh, a few other environmental justice type groups, racial justice type groups uh, that got, got on board with this and, and just talked about how, you know, the history of the highway expansion and, and continuing to do this. It's, you know, it's not even necessarily a thing of the past. Right. Um, it, it's right now. And it's, you know, if, if we were to widen these freeways, it would take out homes in, in diverse parts of Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a very, you know, segregated city like many, so many Midwestern cities are. And, and this, uh, uh, this expansion would move right into some of the most diverse neighborhoods uh, in Milwaukee. And I think a lot of people have been fighting really hard against it. And, and you know, it's unfortunate that our Democratic governor, who has, um, you know, t- talked about placing a priority on, on, you know, fighting climate change and addressing uh, racial justice issues, has continued to move forward with this project. And these groups are calling on uh, Tony Evers to, to help this project now that it is uh, under federal review. So uh, we'll see if anything comes of that. You know, I don't I don't really expect the Wisconsin Department of Transportation to stop this project. 
Um, but it could it could make a huge difference for for how exactly uh, this type of project goes forward. Uh, I, well, I'm, I'd be curious to, to see how this turns out because, you know, when money is involved, uh, I'm sure they'll make some sort of gesture. Or I, I mean, once they've got it where it is, you know, they're gonna they're gonna fight back and say this is you know this is eminent domain makes me crazy is all I'm saying. And saying that this this community's livelihood, their you know their communities aren't as valuable as it is for us to have this highway here. I'm just yeah, and it's it's such a frustrating thing because we we don't have you know we don't have the type of transit infrastructure uh, that a city of Milwaukee's size should. We don't have a regional transit authority. Uh, We don't have, uh, you know, a a lot of fixed rail. We've got just like kind of the one streetcar loop downtown for fixed rail. Uh, We've got only one, you know, bus rapid transit line. That was brand new this year. Uh, So we're just, you know, Milwaukee's really behind when it comes to transit options anyway. And if you're thinking about ways to, you know, reduce congestion uh, on Milwaukee's highways, well, you could do that by investing in other options too. Yes. It's not only by adding adding a lane that could do that and, and uh, in doing so in a way that would have a harmful impact uh, on communities of color in Milwaukee. So it's a, you know, this is what this is a, a topic that I've written thousands and thousands of words about. So I do get a little fired up about it from time to time. And it's a, it's a frustrating one to see that, you know, even with a democratic governor, uh, sometimes you don't get the outcome that you want. Right. <laughs> See, that's that's the thing when it's when it's about uh, development and jobs and all those things. They, they'll they, it's it gets complicated. Uh, before we go, two more things. Um, we're a little short on time, but I, uh, I I'm a big fan of Fargo, and I have not been able to get into this most recent season. Have you been a fan from the beginning? And how would you rank before season? Or you can put season five in there. How would you rank your seasons? You didn't think oh, it was coming. So you must have seen my tweet on this. Huh? Yeah. Um, I've, I, I'm I've a huge heard, fan of the new season. I've heard mixed things about uh, the season. End of the show okay. overall, end of the movies, and all the Coen yes. Brothers stuff. Uh, the new show, the new season is is so far. Uh, it, it, depending on how these last couple episodes go, might might end up being my favorite uh, of the of the whole series. I really like the first two seasons a yes. whole lot too. Uh, the one with Billy Bob Thornton, he was he was amazing on that show. Uh, but the new one with with John Hamm as the as the you know kind of crooked sheriff. Um, from North Dakota in this one. Uh, it's really, really incredible. And I don't know if you watched the show Ted Lasso at all. Yes. Uh, the actress Juno Temple was in was in Ted Lasso playing the Achilles character. Right. She's in this season of Fargo, and, like, I, I thought she was great and funny and Ted Lasso and all that. I did not see, realize that she was, like, this great of a dramatic actress. She's been, her performance in this show has been amazing. So we both agree that the Ewan McGregor season was terrible. Not terrible, but just not as good. I, I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't think it was as good as the first two, but I think it had a lot of good parts to it. I loved, I loved the Chris Rock season, the season in Kansas, but that's, but I would, I would probably go two, one, four, three at this point. So I'll see how five goes. Okay, I would encourage you to watch five. Five's been, five's been maybe my favorite so far. Interesting. Okay, and the last question is: So, how many consecutive games have the Bears lost to the Packers? I think it's, is it 10? I believe it's 10. Unless unless that guy with a jersey was holding his hand next to it with an extra five. I don't know if it's 15. That, that was the way I read it. I wasn't sure. <laughs> See, I know it was, I know uh, our, since the Packers hired Coach Matt LaFleur, uh, and they have not, he, Matt LaFleur has never lost to the Bears. Okay. So I think maybe in Mike McCarthy's last season in, in Green Bay, if they had a bad season, maybe they dropped one to the Bears then. But, but Matt LaFleur, 10-0 against the Bears. 
All right. Fine. By the way, so the uh, Matt Cummings just popped his head and it said, yes, it was 10. So uh, good luck in the playoffs. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> we, right, thank we, you, Patty. we get a little distance between another Packers game. Thank you so much. It's Dan Schaefer, the publisher and writer for the Recombobulation Area. Check out his latest piece about the marijuana legislation and the, the back and forth with the Republican held General Assembly. And uh, thank you so much for checking out with us. Follow him on Twitter, Dan Schaefer, S-H-A-F-E-R. Have a great week, Dan. Stay warm. Thanks, Patty. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to check in with our friend Karina from the from Uprising Bakery. He's going to join us in a moment. So, Dave and Jim, I do have to ask you to hold on because we have some important information to share with you about helping our new neighbors. More in a moment on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Tom Hartman. The Republican Party basically has no purpose, has no moral standing, has no core values, has no interest in actual policy debates. Basically, it's been hollowed out. Donald Trump has hollowed out this party. And all that's left is racism, homophobia, hate, and fear. The Tom Hartman Radio Program, weekdays 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Oh, man, I have not seen our friend Karina since last summer at the Pride Parade, and uh, she nudged me when I was in Woodstock. She's like, I'm just a town over. Why don't you come say hi? So I'm glad you reached out to tell us about the work you're doing today, Karina. The former owner of Uprising Bakery joins us. Karina, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm okay. This is okay. This is this is such an important conversation, especially on a cold, snowy day like this. And it's only going to get colder. Tell us how you got involved with helping migrants who are now being uh, basically sent to Chicago on buses. And since they can't come to Chicago anymore, they're being dropped off in, in communities that don't really know that they're coming or when. And, and the resources are everyone's scrambling. Tell us how you got involved in Crystal Lake. Well, Crystal Lake and Woodstock, Chris, I grew up in Crystal Lake and Woodstock is down the street from me and that's where I work now. So, um, you know, I'm hearing and I'm seeing that everyone's getting dropped off and they're arriving in shorts and t-shirts and they have nowhere to go. And there's like this panic in the community, but for the wrong reason. So I just kind of hopped in and, you know, I'm part of the rapid response team and finding out what do they need, how do we get them to where they need to go and take care of them. They're just new neighbors. They're not anything to be scared of. They're humans, so let's take care of them. I agree. There's a, a wonderful piece by Lourdes Duarte on WGN News. Uh, they, they tell the story of a, of a girl who's going to school now. She, I think she went, I want to say like maybe sixth or seventh grade. And, uh, and she talks about how she's being harassed at school and you know she, the teachers will tell the kids, because they'll say things like, you don't belong here, go back where you came from. And, I mean, I can't even, I, mean, I had it tough enough in grade school. Imagine you know being raised by parents who teach their kids to be like that. And you know firsthand uh, with the kind of harassment and, and really abuse you got, uh, vandalism, uh, violence in front of your business, Uprising Cafe and Bakery, because you wanted to welcome everybody. It takes a lot to stand tall in your, in your community, doesn't it? Yeah, it does for some reason. I'm not sure why, but, um, you know, we're here and we're doing it. And I'm not the only one. Um, we have a ton of people signed up on the rapid response group. And a lot of the community community members have really 
um, come together in collecting donations and getting things to the migrants, making packs, donating two-hour blocks of their time every day. Um, and then we have great organizations like we stand together, McHenry County and the Illinois Migrant Council, who are getting these supplies to the people who need it at the landing site, which is in the city limits. Um but it's still servicing the people who are being dropped off in our county as well as other counties around us. So I, you know, the, the, I guess, are they trying to get folks at least the bare necessities, right? Getting them warm, uh, making sure that they have some place to sleep for the night. And then is the plan to, because we heard Mayor Mike Turner last week on another show talking about how like, well, we don't really have the resources. They got to go to Chicago. We don't have, we don't have those yeah. kinds of services. So they got to go to Chicago. Is that the, that's basically the only option right now, it seems. Yeah. Exactly. So the goal is, and this is part of local governments, to get them into the city limits, Chicago city limits, as quickly as possible. So whether it is on buses or trains, we are getting them onto that mode of transportation into the city. Um, But in the meantime, they need to be warm and fed and housed. So we are trying to get them, like, little care packages with snacks, food, food. clothing, uh, coats, because many of them are arriving in shorts and T-shirts, sandals. They're coming from a warmer climate where they're not used to our colder Midwestern climate. So we need to appropriately clothe them for survival. And that's kind of our main goal right now is keeping everyone warm with some sort of shelter. We're seeing children, babies, um, all ages. Yeah, that's that's a thing people need to keep in mind. Again, folks who have walked thousands of miles uh, through treacherous conditions and with a lot of hostility, hostility along the way. I saw the mother who brought her daughter to the United States was saying that it, there, there's just no way she could let her daughter grow up where they came from because it was so violent. It was so dangerous. It, there's no economy. There's no future. I, I, I don't know how that's hard to understand. They're here now, folks. I get that you want to fix this, the system and, and hopefully someone will figure this out. They haven't. They've only made it worse. And this is just pure cruelty. So how can uh, folks get involved? How, what, what can we drop off? What can we round up? And where do we go? Yeah. So locally, um, we have the Illinois Migrant Council, which is located at 333 Commerce Drive in Crystal Lake. They're accepting donations. We also have a couple places in Woodstock that are accepting donations. There's Warp Corps, which is a great local business that's rooted in um, like social justice, which is amazing. And then basically right now it's a lot of needs regarding children's coats, children's shoes, blankets, tents, and or shelters. When I'm learning today um, cause I did a huge donation drop off this morning is that a lot of the people who are being brought into the city limits at the landing site are only allowed in the shelters at night during the day. They are not in the shelters. So they are outside in buses or just in the environment, um, kind of braving the weather. So they, we need some sort of shelters for them. A lot of people are sleeping on the buses that they're arriving in mm-hmm. with no blankets and stuff. And then non-perishable foods, 
But with that, I want people to really think about what kind of food because these people are arriving with nothing. They did not gra- grab a can opener on their way out fleeing for their lives. So they don't have uh, abilities to cook macaroni or open cans of tuna. It needs to be ready to eat foods that are easily opened with no utensils or tools. So keep that in mind when donating food. A lot of snacks or nutritional drinks would be fantastic. Um, And then all the warm weather needs, coats, blankets, boots, gloves, and hats. So like maybe like a box of breakfast, a few boxes of breakfast bars or energy bars too, maybe as a snack. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Because a lot of times they have a a lot of vitamins in them. Uh, And and what's a good way to uh, donate? I mean, I would think that the best way is for you guys to figure out how best to allocate money. Can we donate as well? Yes. So together we stand McHenry County and the Illinois Migrant Council both have ways to donate. And there's also Amazon carts and wish list set up as well. Um, I can get that information over to you so you can get it out to the listeners better than I can. But there are definitely ways for them to donate that way as well. So again, folks, the drop-off location is the Illinois Migrant Council at 333 Commerce Drive. That's Suite 800 in Crystal Lake. And that's, uh, again, that's in Crystal Lake at 333 Commerce Drive, Suite 800. Do you guys need someone, do you need folks to text if they are coming to drop things off so we can prearrange this? Uh, yes. So it's a 24-hour drop-off. If you are dropping off, you can text 815-995-0300. If no one is there, you can always leave it at the back door at night, and then they will bring it in. Great. That's excellent. Someone just texted, and, and this isn't for this isn't for you, Karina, but someone's texting, why does Crystal Lake want to send our new neighbors to Chicago? We don't have the resources for them either, but if we spread the cost around, everyone will benefit. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we I, we haven't spoken to, and we I haven't heard from anybody from Crystal Lake, but the mayor of Woodstock has said that they will not be uh, permitting folks to stay in Woodstock. I mean, that was the sense I got, not even a little bit. Uh, they all must go to Chicago. A lot of folks are being uh, uh, then sent to metro stations to get on the trains. There was a group of people who were who missed the trains. You know, if you miss a metro train, uh, that's it for another hour or longer. And uh, they, you know, it's not like I miss the train and I know when it comes. Folks are coming here from thousands of miles away and just with very little instruction and very little support. So the, the work that the Karina and so many people are doing in the community with the Illinois Migrant is it the Illinois Mi- Migrant Council? I'm losing all the info. Yes, right? The Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you, I mean, this is it's just so important it's so necessary and we're really grateful that you reached out to us because uh, our volunteer groups in Chicago you know they're often I mean they've been working since last uh, December and uh, I, I don't know how you guys do this I mean they're they're ready at a moment's notice 24 7 with with uh, you know helping make sure that they have blankets and some place to sleep and uh, food diapers formula it's uh, it's it's basic humanity and dignity don't you think Karina It truly is. I mean, these are just human beings that are coming here for a better life. They're fleeing the same things that our ancestors and founding fathers were fleeing in the past. We are all migrants when you go back into history. So we all just need to have a little more compassion. And um, the reason why they're going into the city is because the city is what has federal funding. The outlying suburbs don't Ah. have federal funding. So it all comes down to money. Um, But, yeah, so that's why they're going there. And you can 
I mean, people, listeners, they can do deep dives into that and find all the federal funding money business. That's not my job. But, yeah, that's why <laughs> yeah. we have to <laughs> that's why we have to send them there until the suburbs are allocated some money to help house and shelter them. They're not going to be welcomed and taken care of here. So all we can do as a community is keep them warm and fed until they can, you know, find some permanency in the city. And I think part of it, and again, like I said, neither one of us are experts on how this funding works. I know that places like Oak Park, previously uh, one of the board members in Joliet or an older person, they, they apply for grants from the state is one way of getting funding. And But you have to have somebody, you have to have agreement that that's what the community wants. And uh, like I said, what I heard from the mayor doesn't seem like he wants to do that in Woodstock. I don't know about it. Just, just not for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I actually know Mike. I, I know Mike a little too well. So not, I mean, that sounded weird, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, the suburbs are the suburbs are a totally different little world out here. We aren't afforded the gracious freedom and acceptance as everyone else in the city. So, you know, there's a few of us blue hearts out here that are just trying our best. <laughs> to like save the suburbs um that's what it feels like sometimes but for now this is this is what the plan is well we're glad that you're out there doing the hard work i'm sorry that it it continues to be challenging but it seems like you are, are you know willing to step into the fray for the benefit of others and we are really grateful for that i would love to see you again soon karina uh, and I, I agree. Thank you. Absolutely. Please, like you did, just re- reach out and, and let us know what we can do. If you need another alarm bell, they need coats and socks. Co- you know, they need gloves and hats, uh, all the things and, and food that is easily consumed uh, that doesn't need utensils uh, or cooking. So thank you, Karina. We will talk to you again soon. Oh, and Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you, too. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Love you. All right. Love you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Let me take a break here. And I promised I promised poor Dave I would get right to him. So I'm going to do that in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. Gaz is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. Dave in Hoffman Estates. I'm so sorry. I had to get Karina in there. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, Patty. No, understood. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and as Roger Stone reportedly, he told the associate that one or two prominent Democratic congressmen had to die before the election in 2020. Yep. And it, it said, it's time to do it, Stone said. And I caught on a recording that was reportedly made at a Florida restaurant. He was telling the um, this guy, Sal Greco, who was his, uh, now uh, either a former New York cop that was acting as a bodyguard or whatever for him. And, um, yeah, he said, let's go find Swalwell, it's time to do it. Let's then we'll see how brave the rest are. It's time to do it. Either Nadler or, Nadler or Swalwell has to die before the election. They need to get the message. Said, so let's go find Swalwell to get this over with. And stuff. I mean, gee, can't they get this guy for threatening a well, sitting so congressman? Have you heard what his defense is? That it's not that it's not true, and why it's not true? Did you, have you heard this? Uh, 
I seen something about AI yeah. or something he claims. Yeah, uh, and this is going to get look. This is a uh, this is something we talked about when we were on strike last year with the, with SAG-AFTRA uh, when they were trying to talk to Congress people about what it means to you know artificially generate someone's likeness. It includes their voice, and they played for them speeches by those elected saying, "You didn't say any of this, did you?" But we can make you sound like that. And so I'll be curious to find out what the technology is behind AI generated voices and how they're able to determine whether or not it's authentic. Because uh, this is going to be, this is some strange new territory we're in. Because um, it's not, here's the thing, it's not impossible. But now, right, this puts a lot of doubt in everything. Yeah. That, but uh, if there's somebody else, maybe. Because if you, <laughs> he idolized Nixon, the Nixon <laughs> sure. of the Dirty Tricks campaign. That was so that gross. Stuff. Yeah. So I, nah, I, I, but, you know, you could take like his, his boy Trump's thing too, that, I, you know, I didn't know it was a, that it was against the law. <laughs> believe, you know, believe me, it, you know, it's not a crime if I didn't know to, to be a crime. So, well, taking and, that. And the other thing is, this is a cop who has been sitting on this for three years. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Right? So, what is and it's it? Not, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Hit him up and find out is it, uh, is it uh, Roger or is it Memorex, you know? so Yeah. Well, uh, but still, like um, I said, if, it, if it's legit, why did this cop sit on it? Because they were friends. They had a falling out, and now he wants to get back at him. I mean, I guess yeah. we'll take what we can get, but you're not, you're not noble in this situation, dude. Exactly. Hey, so, so you get off, so you get the gym there. Uh, um, I, this morning, I was watching on the CNN. They had, I had just missed it, the thing where Sarah Seidner had why she left something about the breast cancer and Joan oh, yeah. played the piece about it. It was really, really very moving and uh because like how she said about uh pick eight you know, eight women. Name eight people you, you know. love. Eight name eight women you yep. love. Yep. Yes. And she stage and, um, three. That that had to be such scary news to get. Yeah, and she said that she's gonna get a double mastectomy and that. Yep. And that stuff, but um, I just thought, uh, and you know, thinking about the eight, I can think of two, and you and I both know one, you know. Oh sure, I, I, my mom, and, my mom, my aunt, oh, okay. uh, Miss Lady B. Uh, that's that's, that's already three in my circle of. I mean, that's the thing is, um, yeah, there's a lot of different elements to it. Yeah, but um, I don't know if you get a chance if you could, you know, find that piece and play it. It was pretty, pretty deep and kind of moving. How what she said, you know. A little bit of history on that, because. Uh, uh, let me see if I can. You know, I think okay. I don't know if I can. I just I'll, I'll see if someone can put it up for me. But it's okay. a, but folks can find it. It was an incredible uh, speech that uh, Joan played during her show from Sarah Seidner, and she informed uh, her viewers that she has uh, stage three breast cancer. And, and and I know Joan was talking about that in regards to Secretary Austin's uh, disclosure that he has, or or whoever decided to make sure that we knew that the reason that he was uh, you know having surgery uh, was because he has been diagnosed with prostate cancer, and. Um, there's a lot of questions about the failure of communication as to, you know, because the deputy secretary was also ill. Uh, so at some point, uh, nobody knew what was going on. I, were you the one that called in and said that, you know, you've got to know who's leading the, the charge? Someone has to be, you know. Yeah, I, I might have been one of them. Like yeah. I said, that there's a chain of command you right. go by. You That's know? right. That, yeah, that was your but, call. Um, yeah, and if you get a chance, though, I mean, that uh, I, I think that deserved to, to go some more. And, you know, maybe Lady B can even back, 
you know. Oh, here I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be able to find it in the next. I'll find it in the next hour. I can get that. Yeah, no problem. Let's let me get off. So All right, thanks, Jim. Yeah, let me get the. Right. Thanks, thanks, Dave. Have a good one. Have a good one. Oops. Hey, Jim. How you doing tonight? Hi, Betty. I just think of Karina has to be the sweetest. Any morsel in any bakery, she's just got to be the sweetest one in any bakery around the world. She, she she's great? absolutely the sweetest. She's, she's just tremendous. But what I called about was another the, the GOP front runner, the Grand Ole Party's front runner said. If they don't straighten this out, they could. Bedlam's going to break up. Bedlam's going to break out. Well, he's, if, he's, if he hasn't noticed, Bedlam's already broken out. He sent how many people to prison? 200? And another 200 on their way? And so Bedlam breaks out. So he wants to. He doesn't care who goes to prison. He yeah. reminds me of my mother. My mother used to say when I was a kid. She'd say, Jim, when Dewey drinks, everybody drinks. And when Dewey pays, Everybody pays. And that seems to be his motto. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to go to jail. Well, he wants to go to jail with a thousand people with him. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yep. It makes him feel powerful. They're, you know, they're willing to sacrifice their freedom for him because they're patriots. I mean, that's that's what they all think. Seriously. I know, but I I can't believe. I just don't don't believe how you get to that point. I hear you. You know, Anyway, Patty, carry on. Great show. Thank you much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, let me uh, make sure we get to uh, our sponsor. Uh, I want to run a uh, – I'm so excited because we're going to have Kirk Banks on later this week. We'll have him on Thursday night at 6. Uh, but let's uh, run this so you can be reminded to pick up some Anaqua Choice, and then uh, we'll take a break for the news. Said from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. Percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Buy yours at Beer on the Wall, Arlington Heights, Woodman's in Bloomingdale, Kenwood Liquors in Homer Glen, and more to come. Must be 21. Please drink responsibly. Alexa, play WCPT. WCPT from TuneIn. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Hello, hello. Welcome to our second hour. We want to say hi to our friends in Minneapolis-St. Paul listening on KTNF 950 AM. I wish we had more stations because I need to tell everybody about what tomorrow is because joining me on the line right now is Thomas Arnold. He's a Senior Development Manager for the American Lung Association of Greater Chicago. Uh, But I, first of all, Thomas, uh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. Excellent. I'm I'm very excited to talk to you. I I have done the the fight for air climb many times, not many, but enough to be very proud of it. Uh, I love the I love the event. I love what you guys do. Um, I will say that my father died from small cell lung cancer, and it's one of the reasons that I climb, but also for my health and for my son's health. So thank you to you and everyone at the American Lung Association for what you do. Thank you, and thank you for sharing that. I know a lot of folks have, you know, personal connections to the work we do, and um, obviously it's very important, you know, over 1.4 million Illinoisans are suffering from some type of lung disease, and so we're proud to do what we do. And it's one of those things, I've talked to people about this before, when we talk about the American Lung Association, people often react like it's a, it's something you can blame on somebody, it's a lifestyle, it's, you know, they did it to themselves, but we're not just, first of all, not true, secondly, uh, we're talking about the wide range of lung health. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
Uh, you're exactly right. A lot of folks, you know, the first thing I think of is, you know, lung cancer and um, smoking. And those are, you know, important parts of what we do. We do address those issues. But our work is really wide reaching. I mean, through education, advocacy and research, we touch folks impacted by all kinds of lung disease from COPD to asthma. Uh, we do at home assessments for folks uh, to make sure they have uh, homes that don't have asthma triggers in them. So it's really wide ranging really is it's so important so let's get to the what tomorrow is because i didn't know it was coming up so as soon as i saw the email i'm like let's get somebody on i cannot tell you when i used to work at the tribune tower how much i mean i used to drag people into the stairwells not just a train for the fight for air climb but it was like i was on a mission to tell people like take the stairs sometimes if you see an escalator take the stairs tell us about tomorrow Yes. No, I'm so glad uh, you're so enthusiastic about it. Tomorrow is National Take the Stairs Day. So it's an annual observance where we really just encourage folks to change things up. You know, I think now that we're in this mindset of the new year and making resolutions, it's such a great opportunity for us to, you know, start making healthy habits like taking the stairs. So we're really inviting folks tomorrow on January 10th to skip the elevator, uh, to walk up the stairs, whether they be going into the office, you know, meeting in the stairwell with their coworkers, or even just at home, you know, making the trek up and down the stairs while even doing laundry. That can really make a difference for um, lung health and to just raise awareness about the work that we do. And I, look, I, I hate running. I, I've, I've talked, my joke about running is every time I go running, I want to go stopping because uh, I, I hate it. Uh, but for whatever reason, stair climbing is my jam. And I encourage folks to find out, you you might be surprised well, I mean, there there is a um, I don't know how to explain, it, but there, there there comes a tipping point. Like the first few flights or the first flight, you you have to do it again and again. And I, I honestly, the people that I climbed with, I climbed with my friend Scott Stantis from the Tribune, Elliot Serrano, mm-hmm. who's a cartoonist. I, I I'm not kidding when I I was like this acolyte for stair climbing. <laughs> I got to get back into it. The, the pandemic sort of put a little bit of a, a, a pause for me on on doing any of that. And you guys took it out sure. to uh, Soldier Field, right? That's where it's been for a couple of years correct that's correct yeah and no i i know that you're such like an avid participant i know you came out year after year and we really do appreciate that um yeah after covid we did have to kind of uh change things up a little bit so um this year we are going to be going out to soldier field we're going to be there on uh sunday may 19th and it's our fight for air climb so it's our opportunity to have a fitness challenge for folks we're going to be you know sending teams of climbers up and down the lower bowl of uh, the field, uh, just to be, you know, going up and down the stands and also raising really critical funds to fuel the work that we do. Yeah, I, I'm, and I'm grateful for all my friends who have, who have donated in the past, and, and I'm, I will be hitting you up again this year, my friends. Uh, and you also have one coming up in Oak Brook, is that right? Yes. So we have two um, Piper Air Climbs. The most, uh, the one coming up soonest is in Oak Brook. It's at Oak Brook Terrace Towers on uh, March 10th. That's also a Sunday. And so we really invite folks to, you know, try your hand at all these different events. So the easiest way to get started, you know, on your own, join us for National Take the Stairs Day tomorrow. Uh, but then sign up for our Fight for Air Climb in Oakbrook, which is on March 10th, and the Fight for Air Climb in right here in Chicago at Soldier Field on May 19th. And what's the best way for people to get registered? Start their teams, start their campaign to get get their get folks in their in their circle aware of their that they're going to be doing this. Yeah, of course. So in order to sign up for the Fight for Air Climbs, I recommend that folks just go to our main landing page. So it's fightforairclimb.org forward slash Chicagoland. So that's fightforairclimb.org 
forward slash Chicagoland. And if you go there, you'll be able to access, you know, both clients, Oak Brook and Chicago, decide which one's the best fit for you. And then in terms of National Take the Stairs Day, that's even simpler. All you have to do is snap a photo of yourself, your family, your friends going up the stairs, post it on social media and tag us at Lung Chicago, and you can join in on the fun. Uh, now, how many times have you done the, the climbs? I'm just curious. I have done them just a couple times myself. So I'm really excited to get out there yes. and, you know, try my hand this year. I haven't, I have to admit, I haven't done it myself at Soldier Field, and I think it's going to be a really special yeah, time. I have not either. And you guys got me addicted. I've climbed, I've climbed the Sears Tower. I've climbed the uh, John Hancock. Uh, and I did the Presidential Towers. One year, I was able to loop back and do one building again. So I did five towers, which was really exciting. I, I seriously, this was my, this was my jam for a few years. I was in great shape. I've got to get back. It's, it's really a great event. There's so much, wonderful energy. When you get to the end of it, there's such a big celebration. Everyone's cheering each other on and everyone's doing it for all the right reasons. Uh, I, I'm so I'm just so thrilled to talk to you tonight. Now, my uh, producer messaged me and she's like, when he answered the phone, he, he said it was Timmy. Am I supposed to call you Timmy, Timmy? Timmy? Oh, yeah, I go by Timmy, but that's not no problem. <laughs> where Where are you from originally, my friend? Originally from uh, Central Illinois, so but I've been in here in Chicago for a little shy of a decade, so very very familiar with events like the climb. Sure. Well, now now uh, when you say Central Illinois, are you not allowed to disclose which town? Are you trying to distance yourself? Why can't you tell? Or you, oh, think, we, no. or you think we won't know where it is? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm Bloomington Normal. Sure. I'm proud, born and raised Bloomington Normal. ISU, you know, go yeah. Redbirds. So. <laughs> Excellent. And how did you get involved with the American Lung Association? Were you, were you working towards working for nonprofits, or was this something that was personal? for you? Yeah, so I've actually been in the nonprofit space for about five or six years now. Um, originally, you know, doing more like family volunteer work, um, but made the transition over to the Lung Association in August. So I'm actually very new to the organization, but um, it's been so incredible seeing all the work they're doing and really proud to be a part of it. Well, we're proud to talk to you about it. And uh, so tomorrow, everybody, January 10th. Now, do, do you have suggestions for people who work in high rises to talk to their mm-hmm. security guards about getting into the stairwells. Cause it, it's not, it, it's not typical that people even know. How, I mean, by the way, folks, it's a great way for you to learn the exits for in the case of emergency. I'm just not for nothing. Truly. No, <laughs> it, it's a good safety point. And honestly, today I have to admit, like my team was doing a little practice, practice climb ourselves. So we were going up the stairwell today and my biggest piece of advice, I would say just, you know, send a quick, you know, Slack or an IM to your coworkers, see if they'd be willing to meet you down in the lobby, uh, even before you get in the office. You could come wearing, you know, turquoise in order to support, um, you know, that's our color here at the Long Association, or you can wear your company colors and just go up in a group, make an event out of it. Um, check in with your, your security guard to make sure you actually know where the, uh, you know, entrance is. Um, but no, make it fun and yes. um, really celebrate it. Yeah, and put it on, you guys, I want to I want to see it. I want to see on Instagram, on your TikToks. I want to see reels of people in their stairwells because uh, it, it really, and you also, again, you learn about the architecture architecture of your building. There are things that I saw in the Tribune Tower that n- people just, you know, have no idea. Uh, even like there's, there's some stairwells like would end in one place. You have to like walk across a, like a, a pathway bridge to get to another stairwell. It's very cool. I'm not saying all your, yeah. I'm not going to say they're all that cool. I mean, the Sears, the, uh, Timmy, the Sears Tower stairs, or was it the, I think it's the John Hancock. Their stairs are, their risers are much higher. Like the ones in the Presidential Tower, they have, they have short risers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All kinds of silly things like that. It's an adventure, you know, so you'll, you'll learn a lot about um, the places you are every day. So. Yeah. 
Exactly. And do you guys have a, a, some social media for folks to you know learn more about it, be inspired by the work that you guys are doing? Where do we go to learn more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, to just learn generally about the ALA, I would just go to, um, you know, lung.org. That's our main site. Um, I, I mentioned the other one, fightforairclimb.org forward slash Chicagoland, if you want to learn about the actual climbs. Um, but yes, socials, we're at Lung Chicago. So um, if you want to tag us from any of the posts that are going yes. to be coming out tomorrow, please do it at Lung Chicago. Outstanding. All right, everybody, get get those stairwells tomorrow. And every day, every chance you get, try to take the stairs. Timmy, it's been, it's been great talking to you. And we've been talking to Timmy Arnold with the American Lung Association. And uh, we would love to get an update. Check in with us again. Uh, I'll reach out and, uh, and talk more about the Oak Brook event as well as Soldier Field. Okay. Wonderful. Appreciate it, Patty. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. Uh, Let's turn to some of the news stories that we haven't uh, even touched on yet. So if you want to give me a call, 773 763 9278. That's 773 763 9278. Coming up at 5 30, we're going to talk to a a writer, an author of a book about how we can uh, end the the housing shortage with affordable housing. So that's coming up at 6 30. More after this. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. I'm Kurt Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer, like Biden beer, which is inoffensive and not bitter, and Extinct Elephant, a moderate red ale. Because you know those moderate Republicans seem to be going the way of the dodo. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to keep Wisconsin blue and drive the MAGA cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. To keep track of the good trouble we're making in Wisconsin and where to buy our beer, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, MonacoBrewingCompany.com. And drink responsibly. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. We are taking your phone calls, and I didn't even get a chance to talk about that. Uh, I guess the defense for Donald Trump or his legal team is saying that he's immune because he wasn't impeached and convicted by this. Did that? No. That's not. First of all, all of those Republicans in the wake of January 6th said that, you know what, you can't impeach him now. But, uh, you know, once he's out of office, you can arrest his ass. And now they're like, oh, no, 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 that's not what we meant. We, we, we found we, we, we've thought about it. And now we also want to use it for uh, saying he can do whatever he wants, including killing people, which the judge seemed very skeptical about. What's on your mind, my friend Roosevelt? What's going on? Thank you for taking my call, Patty. Patty, hey, th- listen, I want to continue on the same talk. So follow what I'm going to say here. Okay. He has the he has the okay from the religious sector. Yep. Because a lot of evangelists, a lot of Christians, um, voted for him and supported him. Okay. He has the okay of the Supreme Court. Although I got to put a question mark there because. This is very critical for our country because when all these cases that are uh, going to go in front of the Supreme Court, that's going to be a test on our Constitution and whether we become a country for the uh, elite, uh, the narcissist, the resurrectionist. So I, I can't put it past these guys to do commit any kind of crimes because look at the call he made to Georgia. Yeah. I mean, 
mean, he didn't, he basically didn't hide it. He's doing everything out in the open. He's not really making any attempt of hiding all the crimes. No. He denies all the crime. He denies all the crimes, and all the people believe him. And to your point. Republican Party, the excuses they use is they constantly change the rules. They constantly change and pull at our Constitution, pull at our Supreme Court. And this thing with him having immunity is critical because if you say that it's okay, then there's no crime that he can commit that he'd be liable for. So... What do you think yeah. about that? Oh, that, it's you know. it, absolute madness. And, you know, we had uh, we had Sergeant Gunnell on, remember, a, a few weeks ago, who uh, was injured and has, oh, yeah. has written a book. And he tweeted today, he goes, you know, the next thing he's going to say is that the Constitution isn't constitutional. Like, because, no, no, it's, yeah. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Here's the thing. And everybody's reinterpreting the Bible because look at the evangelists. They're hypocrites. Look at the Christians. They're hypocrites. Look at the Catholics. They're hypocrites, the ones that supported him, because they said, well, that's okay for him to do that to the women, to do this, as long as he, as long as he reverses uh, Roe versus Wade. And constantly, yes. they use an excuse. Use an excuse that they were never used back in the eighties and the seventies, and 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 back in even in the in the seventies. Like I said, because they had some sort of morals when they pushed and they helped Nixon to uh, to resign. So all this to me is a slippery slope because that's where everything started. As soon as one president pardoned another president. There's a, from there on, it's cover-ups. I mean, look at Iran-Contra. Look at the uh, old man uh, Bush. He, he pardoned all the guys that were guilty um, that they were in on the Iran-Contra so that you couldn't do anything to Reagan either. And look at poor Jimmy Carter. They made him sell his peanut farm because you're not supposed to make any money when you're, uh, when you're president. But look at this guy. Oh, I mean, what was uncovered on the Washington Post last week. So he took seven point what eight million dollars from twenty different countries, including China, at right. the top of the list. Yeah. So, so my my point is, you know, what are we? We're going back to the the kings because basically yes. he's such a yep. as a king. It's a it's a king king well, king club. Well, corporations in general were were setting up as a feudal system. I mean, it basically. You know, this is the whole drive. Indiana, a, a legislator yesterday, a Republican, of course, just introduced legislation. Get this, that kids can drop out of school to go work on farms, corporate farms. They want oh they God. need labor. Yeah. 14 years old. They can. They don't they don't need to. They just need to finish eighth grade in the state of Indiana so they can go work on the farms, the corporate farms. Not there. Not, not just like if it's family farms and maybe kids are going to get homeschooled or whatever that, that plan would be or figuring out something that would work for family farms. No, they want them to go work for corporate farms. They are they are forcing women to 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 have uh, to continue a pregnancy against their will because they need labor. They and, and what's weird is like you. What do we have right now in Chicago? We have over twenty five thousand people, but many of whom would love to be able to work and support their families. But no, because they're brown, they don't want to help those laborers. Not, they're the wrong kind of labor. And I'm glad you're going to my point. And a lot of this, I don't know if you agree with it, but a lot of this, uh, another guy of darker skin would never get away with it. It's the same principle as January sixth. Sixth. This this is happening also because the guy is a white male. Yep. And look look at all the people in charge 
of the church white males. So every church, of every church, you know, when it comes down to Christians. So we're going back to the men having the upper hand on the women. Look at Roe versus Wade and all these red uh, states. It's a perfect example. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, we're reverting back to, forget the 40s, 50s. We're going back to the 1800s. No. Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. We're in the Middle Ages. I mean, forcing women. I'm going to close it with this. And it, it's not just Trump. Because pay attention to, to what um, uh, Junior did, Bush Junior. In his book, he said that his biggest regret was not uh, reforming Social Security. You know what that means? It's to put your hands into the Social Security, hand it over to the bankers. Back to Reagan. Yes. They, yeah. they, Reagan sold himself out to the bankers and the oil company. Right. So Remember? Yeah. Thousand percent. And, and the thing is, the whole push of like, you know, all the people decide where to invest their money. So who makes money off investments? Right? The big yeah, banks. Exactly. Yep. Look, at, who, look at destroyed the economy when Volts was in there. Yeah. Too big exactly. to fail. Yep. Uh, Nobody went to jail, Patty. That's it. I'm not going to hold you up any longer. That's all right, Roosevelt. It was great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Yeah. I mean, I I was astounded that this legislation, if you, uh, I would recommend there's, if you are on social media, there's a a great Twitter account that will keep track, that keeps track of a lot of the labor stories. Uh, I've been following More Perfect Union. So uh, a couple hours ago, they shared this story. An Indiana Republican has filed a bill that will allow kids as young as 14 to drop out and work on corporate farms during school hours. Kids will only need to complete eighth grade. Remember, this is another goal, is to not have educated uh, educated voters. This was, to back to Roosevelt's point, under Reagan, Reagan was the one that took public schools, the higher education in state schools in California, and started charging them more money. That's one of the reasons we are where we are with our universities, with kids in school and adults in this crushing student debt is because Reagan didn't want edu- and the people around him whether or not he wanted it and even knew what they were talking about or understood what was happening at that point uh, they were advising him to not let people get too smart that the, and and look this whole thing with uh with the president of Harvard look I agree that the the way they testified they they it was clumsy it was absolutely clumsy. But then to force her out of out of that office because of a citation. And now they're, they're like all the people. There's this one billionaire whose wife they found out she works for MIT. They found it. Guess where she plagiarized from? Wikipedia. She was she was lifting. So they're like, well, no, but, you know, my wife is a private citizen. She she she's getting money from from, you know government funding for the work that she does at MIT. And uh, so now, but but she's not black. Why are you harassing her? (laughs) I guess it's the only thing that they can say to defend themselves. Uh, It is unconscionable uh, that they uh, continue to, they, they think that I I get that on university campuses, uh, it, it, it's not what conservatives like. It's a lot of different thoughts. And yeah, you know what? More educated people tend to be liberal. And I believe, and I'm not saying for everybody, my, the reason I'm a liberal is because I am never 
done learning. I am interested in, in knowing more about the world, about people, about how we got here, where we are going. And they don't want you to know that. They want you to get, they want you to put on your boots and go to work. They don't care if you're a high school student who gets killed at a sawmill in Wisconsin and his parents didn't have him at the Christmas table because for God's sake, we need to put these teenagers to work at 530 in the morning at a sawmill. Let's take a break here. More after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal, KTNF 950 AM, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I am very excited to talk to our next guest because this is an issue that we all talk about in this on this show, on the station. It's incredibly important, and I think we need to be thinking about We need to be talking about it, and I'm glad that we have an author, uh, someone who works in this area, who is an expert. I hope it's okay to call you an expert, my friend. Tony Bertoldi. Am I saying your name, name right, Bertoldi? It's perfect. Yeah, that's oh, perfect. That's not that's not common for me to get a name right. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Tony, <laughs> Tony is the author of American Dream Come True, Why Affordable Housing is Good Policy, Good Business, and Good for America. Win, 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 win. Uh, first of all, Tony, tell us a little bit about your background. What what led you into this, this area of t- having a book that is so crucial at this time in history? Sure, yeah. I've been in the affordable housing industry for about 30 years and um just over that time you know it just it every conversation i have with friends family uh you know no one really understands what it was that i did and they didn't really understand what affordable housing was and so um you know i just that's where the thought of the book came from that i feel like there's a lot of misconceptions a lot of myths that needed to be debunked and I want uh, I want Americans to understand why it's so important that we have more affordable housing. Yeah, because here in Chicago, of course, I believe there's a book about the mythology of Cabrini Green, and that's what that's every single time we have a conversation about affordable housing. That's what people reference is we don't want a Cabrini Green in our neighborhood, that's and, right. and that's not what we're talking about. Tell folks a, a little bit about uh, how you are working to help people understand. In addition to this book, but what what do people need to know yep. about affordable housing? Well, let's let me take a step back because uh, one of the things that yep. jumped out at me is it is. It is getting harder and harder, if not impossible, for people who, even if you have two incomes, making $100,000 each, it's getting harder to buy a house, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, I start the book off by telling the story of my father, my my mother and father. My father uh, was born in Italy. He came to the U.S. when he was uh, 12 years old. Um, I'm the uh, third child of the family, and when, in 1965, on a minimum wage, my mother and father were able to buy a house for $16,000 in Cranston, Rhode Island. And when you look at what has happened to the cost of housing since then, and where wage growth is since then, you see this massive, massive gap. So the 
you know, the median home sale price right now is about $450,000 in the U.S. In your, you know, Chicago land, it's going to be significantly more than that. But minimum wage in many places is still only $7.50. Yeah. And so it's just stacked up against um, people now to try to find something that's affordable. And, you know, you mentioned Cabrini Green, and I, you know, I want to, you know, part of what I try to do in the book is explain what, what affordable housing that my company works in, how it's different than um, than Cabrini Green. Cabrini Green is is uh, was a public housing uh, complex or development, and public housing was created by HUD. Um, it was created at a time when you know it was post World War II. People were coming back; they needed a place to live. Um, but ultimately, it's turned into properties like Cabrini Green that, in some cases, can end up being mismanaged and not maintained all that well. The affordable housing that my company works in and that has built 90% of all affordable housing in the United States over the last 35 years is what we call the low-income housing tax credit. It's authorized by Section 42 of the IRS code. And um, most of your listeners would probably not recognize and affordable housing or LIHTC deal if they drove past it. Um, and what makes it different than other forms of subsidized housing is the tenants do pay rent, but they pay rent that's affordable to them. It's sized at 30% of their income. So their rent is not overburdened. And you know, for many of the Americans that own a home, about two thirds of Americans own a home, and when they apply for a mortgage from their local bank, that bank is going to look at about 30% of their income to see what they can afford. So the concept is out there. The concept that people should not be paying more than 30% of their income for housing is what the program is built on. That's- um, and as I said, it's been the most successful housing program in the U.S. for the past 35 years. And yet we have a housing shortage, right? In the email that I got, the, yes. at the end of, end of 2022, the U.S. was 3.8 million homes short of meeting the general housing needs of Americans and 7 million homes short of housing availability for extremely low income renters. And, and again, this is, the, the you know, people talk about, you know, just pull your bootstraps up or you, you're not working hard enough. This is, this is not, yeah. this is like, it's like, it's like when you're stuck in the mud with your car, you hit the gas harder, you just dig yourself in deeper. You know what I mean? That's right. It's, and it, you're exactly right. I mean, we do hear that a lot. We hear that from, um, you know, my parents' generation. And, and look, I am about hard work. I have, you know, I, I believe that people who work hard will be rewarded. But uh, the, the stack, uh, the deck is stacked against uh, yes. people right now, given the imbalance of housing costs. And the answer, Patty, is supply. We need it goes back to the basics of economics. I am an economics major from undergraduate school and we need more supply. And and, and that's a little bit of a a pitch with respect to the the LIHTC credit, which um, it is. The LIHTC credit is sort of sized based upon population, based upon per capita. And there is the possibility there is a, a bill that is being negotiated right now in Congress a tax bill, and there's a possibility that we could get an expansion of the LIHTC credit as part of that bill. 
And I am part of an organization, the Tax Credit Coalition, that is lobbying on behalf of expanding the tax credit. And the purpose there is to create more supply. And with more supply, the hope is, is that the cost of housing will come down. And, you know, some of, some of you, some of the listeners may be saying, but you're talking about affordable housing, Tony. Well, the reality is, is that there is a large population of the, the units that are built that are on the cusp. Some of them go up to as high as 80% of AMI. And there are people, there is a, you know, five or 10% of the U.S. population that straddles between affordable housing and then being overburdened in market rate housing. And to the extent we can create more units, and have a greater supply, that might mean that some people who are taking a market rate unit could live in an affordable unit, and therefore there'd be less demand on that market rate unit, which would bring the cost down. So I am advocating for more support from the U.S. government in the form of the expansion of the LIHTC credit, and I'm advocating pro-development with respect to multifamily housing across the United States. Yeah, and, and you see that over and over again in Chicago. The last I saw, I was working on this a few years ago, and I believe around two, between 2012 and 2017, again, I'm spitballing on the numbers, but it was in the tens of thousands yeah. of multifamily homes that were converted into single-family homes. There was this, like, this barrage of people who wanted to just have a big house. And I personally, I live, yes. I live in a multifamily home, multi-generational home. I'm very, I'm very lucky and very proud. We live with my mother and my sons and I, I, yep. I, there is, you know, there's one, I, I love it. Um, but we need more yeah. of that. How do we, you know, how can people get involved? What can we do individually to, to make things like this happen where we have more availability of housing? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different programs in many different states. In my home state of Massachusetts, we have inclusionary housing rules where um, any um, apartment complex of more than four units must have an affordable unit in it. And, you know, a lot of the conversations around that come down to uh, public resistance, right? And, and, and so my hope is mm. you can read the book to understand that this is not a bad thing and that everyone benefits from it and that we try to eliminate some of that nimbyism. But there's also some very interesting uh, pilot programs. There's one in New York City or New York State, I, I believe, where they're encouraging single-family homeowners. They will pay single-family homeowners something in the order of $350,000 to build an adult dwelling unit on their property for their mother or father, for a child, for a family member. And they're willing to do that because the cost of doing that is substantially less than building housing elsewhere. And so there's, there's any number of these programs yes. across the country that people should look into if they're interested for themselves. But if they also hear the topic in a public forum or being discussed or affecting them personally, I would love them to read the book, understand why it's not a bad thing, understand why hardworking Americans are paying rent, but they can't afford to pay 50% of their income for rent. And, you know, the hope is that we can get more supply. NIMBYism is, uh, you know, is the kryptonite um, to to a lot of this. To progress. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. I've, yes. Been, I've been to a lot of these yeah. meetings. I've been to a lot of these. I mean, it, honestly, there was a, a, a construction that was uh, um, initiated that pretty much broke my neighborhood. It's a project called uh, 5150 yeah. uh, on the northwest side of Chicago, which is a predominantly white neighborhood that I grew up in. Uh, I was the only Latina yep. in my grade school. 
And we lived, see, I, I, let me just divert for one second. The thing about this neighborhood was the only way for people of color uh, who weren't from the community, who weren't in law enforcement to even live here was word of mouth. So there weren't, like, yep. in the 60s, 70s, that didn't necessarily, you know, broadcast that you were selling your house or you had a place to rent. So my dad knew somebody. We were low income. We lived above a, a paint store <laughs> for, for, 20, yeah, for 26 yeah. years. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I, I got to live in a, in a nice neighborhood uh, in a small apartment. And I, you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, but, but you know, when we finally had the opportunity and we had people who were invest, investing in our community, uh, man, Tony, it, it, you know, protests and it's going to be and they, and they convinced the thing is that they're very good at convincing people who might otherwise support it. There's there's this sort of. Yeah. And again, Cabrini Green in Chicago are the magic words. You hear that and you're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. And it's not what's happening. These are families, veterans. That's right. That's, it's not yeah. what it is. Right. It's not what it is, right? And, and you know, there's many different programs, there's many different types. And certainly we also have an obligation and responsibility to improve properties like Cabrini Green. And Cabrini Green was torn down, I believe, and has been redeveloped. Um, but, you know. Yeah. I also, your story is not very different than a, a very large percentage of Americans and, and you know, the, the, the housing story. Um, and but what we're seeing is that too many families, maybe to the extreme, are housing many too many people in dwelling units, right, which has its own issues and has its own concerns. And, you know, I, I also want to, um, you know, touch on the impact that this has to children and if you think about, you know, a homeless family with children or a child that has to move around frequently or doesn't have a safe, affordable place to lay their head at night, the issue that we have is that they, they don't get the rest that they need. They're not getting the food and nutrition that they need. They can't study in school. It, it's just a cycle. They will never get ahead. If you don't have a place to lay your head, if you can't get a good night's sleep, you're not going to be on top of your game in terms of brain function, learning. And, you know, this is why, you know, as a society, this is what I try to argue in the book, as a society, it makes much more sense for us to provide affordable housing to these families so that these families can become functioning parts of society, functioning, contributing uh, citizens in society. And there's another, there's a chapter in the book about health care. I don't know if we're, if we're yes, going to run out yes. of time. No, you're or, good. Go right ahead. Please. Uh, yeah, there's a chapter in the book about health care. And there have been a number of studies that have been done across the country, many of them with veterans. And, you know, I challenge anyone to suggest that we should not be housing our veterans who fought for our freedom, right? Um, and what they find, what these studies find, is that the cost of providing health care to a homeless vet versus providing health care to a vet who has a place to live and potentially a caseworker at that property, the cost is six times more to provide that health care to the homeless vet. Right. And what most Americans don't understand is that 83% of the cost of the uninsured is borne by the American taxpayer. And when you do the math, what you can figure out is that 
it's significantly more cost to provide health care to a homeless vet than it would be to provide them a place to live and to have a, a caseworker that can help them navigate the health care system so they can have a place to recuperate after surgery, like a knee surgery, so they can have people who can check in on them. And so it's not a question of spending money on housing. It's a question of spending money on something that's going to save us money elsewhere and is going to create a better functioning society. Uh, Tony, I, I feel like if we could go out for coffee and drinks, we'd have a lot to talk about because I've been <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure which side of that you would be on. But I I've been so I have been involved in advocacy in Illinois for over a decade. And uh, I really, yeah. it was really long. I have a son who has significant disabilities and, and I'm able to, to uh, fight for him because I have the bandwidth because of the support of my family. But I saw yeah. so many families struggling. And I went and I and exactly what you're saying is that if we invest in kids or people when they are diagnosed with, with whatever challenges they have, if we're investing in them now, we're not paying for long-term care, which is significantly more expensive. But it is, we, right. we can't get this out. Right. Tony, I know, you know, you've written the book and, and I want folks to, to go to the website. It's TonyBertoldi.com. That's T-O-N-Y-B-E-R-T-O-L-D-I.com. You can also see information about the book, American Dream Come True, Why Affordable Housing is Good Policy, Good Business, and Good for America. Uh, I, it, it, you've been doing this work and you're making progress. Uh, it, what, is yeah. that, is that, cause it doesn't work in Illinois. It didn't work with the people that I, I was, it, it, we are, if anything, they're actually cutting back this year, even with Democrats. I'm sorry. I don't know what your politics are. I didn't make, I don't want to make any assumptions. Oh, no, no, but, I, yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. Yeah. But, but, you know, uh, yeah. on our, Go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, yeah. but even with even you know we they keep cutting. They keep making cuts to social services, which are really what keep people functioning in our society too. Um, but what were you yeah. going to say? Go ahead. Yeah, there's limited resources, right? And that's why I think we you know we often have to make really difficult choices about where we're going to where we're going to allocate resources. And I think that's what you know the point that I'm trying to make about the healthcare cost, right? We have to have this awareness that certain things ultimately cost more than others. And if you don't, if I can convince people to not think about affordable housing as a government handout because the tenants are really actually paying for uh, their rent at a certain level, and if we can convince the U.S. government to produce more affordable housing, and if we can get some people off the street, and if we can reduce the cost of living for some families, it's going to save us all in so many other ways, plus we'll be a better functioning society. Yeah. You know, there's, um, yeah, I mean, I, we, I, my company is a, a Litex syndicator. That means we bring together um, investors and developers. Uh, we're very active, one of the largest in the country. We will continue to do that. We are hoping for an expansion of the LIHTC credit through a tax bill, which is being negotiated right now. If anyone who is listening has any connection to a U.S. congressperson or senator, I encourage you to just drop them a line and say, please support the LIHTC credit. It's critical time right now. Um, but we also have to think in different ways. Like we have to, we have to be comfortable with micro units, right? I mean, young adults who live in cities might be comfortable with a 250, 300 square foot unit. If they can live alone, they can afford it. They have lower operating costs. There's a time and a place for everything. And we have to think differently about housing. Not everyone needs a McMansion and not everyone needs a three bedroom. No, I agree. Uh, by the way, where did you, uh, where did you get your, get your economics degree? So I'm a, a UConn um, oh, nice. Bachelor's of Arts, and nice. then 
Boston University MBA. Okay, because I I took one semester. I really I didn't know what I wanted to do as a freshman, uh, and I took economics. They did macro and micro in the same semester. Can you please tell my mom who is listening right now that that's uh, it's not <laughs> it's not manageable to I, 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 you can't do that all in one semester. He screwed up on that one. I'm just saying. <laughs> No, I mean, I was an economics major, and I couldn't handle it uh, in less than four years. So I think you need definitely need more than, than one semester. I would never do micro and macro at the same time. Thank you! That's a no-no. Thank you! Yeah, no, I, that's a no-no. Seriously. Not happening. Tony, there was one point where the TA was, like, writing all this stuff on the board. We're 40 minutes into the class, right? He steps back, he goes, oh, you know what? I'm wrong about this. Forget everything I just said. I'm like, I, I, what? I, I, no. And that was 30 years ago. I still remember that. Because I, I have a degree yeah. in history, so I remember things. But, um, yeah, I, this yeah. has been such a great conversation. <laughs> I would love to talk to you again if your schedule allows. Um, I, want, I want to read Absolutely. the book. Uh, yeah. And I want to talk more about this because uh, I want to be able to figure out. I, I, want, I, I wish I could order like a stack of them for the neighborhood meetings that I go to where people don't. Not in my. Not, the, the traffic. It's yeah, not always, in my backyard. No, it's always the density. <laughs> it's always how many parking spots. And we live near this. Okay, I'm yelling at Tony. He doesn't know me. He doesn't. He's what? Why is she yelling? Because um, I'm passionate. It's fine. I come from an Italian family. You can yell all you want. <laughs> we live near the second largest transportation hub in the city of Chicago. We have like all the buses, all the trains, and uh, and people are like, well, yep. how many parking spots? You, they, they're going to cross the street. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can't. As a, you know, transportation-oriented developments is another area that a lot of folks look at developers and investors because it makes so much more sense. And, uh, yeah, you know, people have to stop asking themselves, like, what happens if we do this, you know, add affordable housing? I think the question they need to ask is what happens if we don't do this, right? Are these people are homeless. They, you know, I mean, there, there's any number of consequences. Yeah. We're going to have more conversations. I'm just saying. We are. <laughs> Thank you, <Yeah>. Tony. <laughs> Feel free to reach out anytime. Again, folks, um, uh, he, Tony Bertoldi is the author of American Dream Come True, Why Affordable Housing is Good Policy, Good Business, and Good for America. Go to TonyBertoldi.com. The information is available on the Patty Vasquez show page, and we will talk to you again. Happy New Year. This is a great conversation. I'm grateful for your time and expertise and the work Thank that you do. You. Thank you so much. Thank I you. really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Let's take a break, Bye. and when we come back, we will wrap up and uh, send you off to your evening. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Around the town, Chicago, with Al Beslaw. I want to give away some stuff, and some of these things I'm going to give away, you don't even have to answer a question. So all you have to do is call. For the magic of the Nutcracker, four tickets. All you have to do is say, crack my nuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why did you come up with that? I don't know. I just felt like saying something silly. <laughs> okay. Sunday afternoons at 2 on WCPT 820. Hey, Google, play WCPT. Streaming Chicago's progressive talk from TuneIn. I was able to pull up the audio that uh, I believe I, Dave or Roosevelt, one of the guys, one of our guys, it wasn't Jim, but uh, Dave. Dave uh, asked if I would replay the uh, audio from Sarah. Hold on a second. Let me make sure I've got it. I have dismissed that. Sarah Seidner's announcement on CNN today that she is dealing with a very personal health issue. And here we go. Share with you. Um, I want to start by doing this and asking you a big favor. Just take a second to recall the names of eight women who you love and know in your life. 
Just eight. Count them on your fingers. Statistically, one of them will get or have breast cancer. I am that one in eight in my friend group. I have never been sick a day of my life. I don't smoke. I rarely drink. Breast cancer does not run in my family. And yet here I am with stage three breast cancer. It is hard to say out loud. I am in my second month of chemo treatments and will do radiation and a double mastectomy. Stage three is not a death sentence anymore for the vast majority of women. But here is the reality that really shocked my system when I started to research more about breast cancer, something I never knew before this diagnosis. If you happen to be a black woman, you are 41% more likely to die from breast cancer than your white counterparts. 41%. So to all my sisters, black and white and brown out there, please, for the love of God, get your mammograms every single year. Do your self-exams. Try to catch it before I did. Now, here's something I could never, ever have predicted would happen to me. I have thanked cancer for choosing me. I'm learning that no matter what hell we go through in life, that I am still madly in love with this life. And just being alive feels really different for me now. I am happier because I don't stress about foolish little things that used to annoy me. And now every single day that I breathe another breath, I can celebrate that I am still here with you. I am here with my co-anchors, my colleagues, my family, and I can love and cry and laugh and hope. And that, my dear friends, is enough. Sarah Seidner from uh, CNN making an announcement. Please uh, take care of yourselves. Uh, Tell the people in your life to take care of themselves. And I do want to mention this as well. Men can also develop breast cancer. 10% of breast cancer patients are men. So take care of yourselves. Uh, Please get checked. I know earlier this week we talked to Michael J. Stern uh, yesterday. Gosh, Time is so weird. Uh, Michael J. Stern told us about his husband's diagnosis of uh, colon cancer. Uh, so please, I know that we think, oh, I feel fine. I, I take good care of myself or I don't have time. I, what if I do find something? All the different things. Make the appointment tomorrow. I'm going to call my doctor make my appointments. And uh, please take care of yourselves. Lady B, I know, it, I know that you have been through so much. Thank you so much for being an inspiration to many of us. We love you and so happy to have you back. And, and we know that you are continuing to take care of yourself and we're here for you too uh thank you everybody mike crutes up next with devil's advocates matt mcneil after that we'll see you tomorrow thank you